So September, we started in Revelation, in chapter 1, in the great vision of Christ, in Revelation chapter 1, and then we went into a little mini-series of messages on the seven churches of Revelation, which carried us uh, through the fall, and when we got into uh, November, and uh, there we uh, were in the throne room of God in Revelation 4 and in Revelation 5. First of the year, then, we started another series of messages in Revelation, a long and difficult series, really, over 13 or 14 weeks, and, and it followed Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18, the tribulation. So for 13 or more weeks, we were in the tribulation. Now you want to put your hands together now because we have made it through the tribulation. The church. You didn't think you were going through the tribulation, but we took you through the tribulation. Now we've arrived at uh, a series of messages in the last four messages in Revelation, the last four chapters of Revelation in the series. We're calling it, Here is Our King. Because in Revelation chapter 19, guess what happens? Jesus Christ returns. Amen? Jesus Christ returns to the earth. on a treasure of a prospect of a hope that a believer has is that the one who made this world and when the world fell and was broken and we were all broken with it that he's been watching over this world he's been working in this world and one day he's going to come back and he's going to take over this world again and for those of us who love him that's going to be a really good thing and so the story of that is sprinkled throughout the bible did you know this There are over 365 references to the return of Christ in the Bible. Over 365 references to the return of Christ. It is everywhere in the Bible that Jesus Christ will literally, physically return to the earth one day. And and many of those references include uh, truth that when Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to return to rule. And remember that, what we celebrate at Christmas, when Jesus Christ came in what we call his first advent, He came very meekly like a baby, right? He came as a baby. He came as a man. He came as a God-man. But he came in great meekness. He came as a suffering servant. He was abused. He was rejected. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. He started the church. When he comes back, you're going to see this today in Revelation 19. When Jesus Christ returns... He will not return in meekness. He will return in what we call in power and great glory. Initially, the return of Christ and the the, the record of the return of Christ, which is referred to over 365 times in the Bible, and it's described specifically in the passage that we're going to study today. So the return of Christ is described in the passage that we'll study today in Revelation chapter 19. And you're going to notice that when he returns in Revelation 19, the initial, the initial uh, emotion is not joy. It's actually judgment. But before he returns, in Revelation chapter 19 and verses 1 through 10, there are really two sections in our passage today that's very obvious. In verses 1 through 10 of Revelation 19, you have joy in heaven over the defeat of the anti-God world system, which is in the Bible called Babylon. In the Bible, in Revelation, 11% of the book of Revelation talks about this anti-God world system, which is against God, and it's called Babylon. 
There's a religious aspect of this anti-God world system called Babylon referred to as a harlot, as a prostitute. And it's a religious organization, a religious united religious organization that is against God and it's against Christ. And when Babylon falls, the record of that is in Revelation 18, but the celebration of the fall of Babylon is in Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. And Revelation 19 and verses 11 through 21 We have the record of Jesus returning in power and great glory as a warrior, as a conquering hero, defeating his foes in a tremendous way. So that's what we're going to study today. It is one of the most riveting, one of the most beautiful, one of the most fascinating, one of the most frightening passages in all of the Bible. Revelation chapter 19. So let's take our Bibles now and let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. Let's do like we do. One of the things that ought to be the highlight of our church life of a, of a week, in a week, is when we open up God's Word and we just read the Word of God. There's something powerful about the people of God attending to the Word of God. It's at the center of everything. You're going to notice, as we read this passage, every song we sang today spills out of this passage. Everything we've done already spills out of this passage. So let's take our Bibles now um, and let's read from Revelation chapter 19, The entire chapter, verses 1 through 21. John is now recording in Revelation 19, again, the continuation of his vision in heaven. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke arises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us rejoice, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. To her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now the scene changes. And before we read verses 11 through 21, remember that one of the keys to understanding the storyline of Revelation is to stop frequently and ask, where am I now? You're either in a scene in heaven or you're in a scene on earth. The scene in heaven is always centered on the throne of God and the Lamb and the angels, and the multitudes of 
the, living, the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the martyred saints and there's prayer and there's worship and there's singing and there's glory. It's beautiful. It's, it's peaceful. It's wonderful. The scene on heaven is different. The scene on earth, on earth is different. It's chaos. It's brokenness. It's fallenness. It's rebellion against God. In heaven, the scene is always one of order around the throne of God. On earth, the scene is always a scene of chaos because God hasn't come to rule yet. What happens in chapter 19 and verse 11 is the God of heaven, the Lamb, gets on a horse and he rides to earth and he takes over the earth. And he establishes a reign upon the earth. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. So now let's read this. First, what he has to do is conquer his the rebellious enemies of God. Now, verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of, and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and flesh of captains and flesh of mighty men and flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave and small, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." So you can see this is a very, very ominous passage of Scripture. You have two scenes. Scene in heaven is characterized by joy. Scene on earth, characterized by judgment. This is the truth of the living God, written in the Word of God. This is the climax. This is the great summit of human history. Jesus Christ returning in power to reward His saints and to pull, draw His saints into the greatest expression of a, of a love relationship that is, exists in the Bible, and to judge all those who have hardened themselves against Him and have become His enemies. It's very stark. It's very, very frightening. It's very black and white, and yet there's great hope in it. Notice that the verses, the, the verses 1 through 6, are obviously characterized by celebration and the word that's there repeated over and over again and it's really important when you're studying the bible to notice things that are repeated because emphasis is always is often made by repetition and over and over again there is a word here that's a transliterated word out of hebrew hallelujah means praise to god hallelujah 
And the word is used over and over here as the scene, as the camera is trained on heaven, as Babylon, the anti-God world system, anti-God religious system, anti-God government system, anti-God political system, anti-God financial system on the earth is going to be fully and finally and thoroughly judged by God. What are they doing in heaven? They're just saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise be to God. It's really interesting because the word hallelujah occurs, notice this, it says in verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude, and they're saying, Hallelujah, praise to God. And why are they giving praise to God? They're giving praise to God for salvation. They're giving praise to God for redemption. Listen now. Verse 1, it says, Hallelujah, salvation and honor and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. This is a beautiful chorus we sing at summer camp. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, right? Salvation belongs to God. Who does salvation belong to? To God. Who is the author of deliverance of people? God. Whose idea was salvation? God. Who initiates our salvation? God. Salvation belongs to our God. When you're praying for someone's salvation, why do you pray? Why don't you just talk to them? Because you know that salvation belongs to our God. We pray because we know that it is God that puts a desire in the heart of a person to be saved. And we pray that God does that. And they praise Him in heaven for that. When it comes to the end, they say salvation belongs to our God, to the Lamb. The one who sits on the throne, that's what you have there. You have praise. The first bit of praise is for redemption. It's for salvation. And that, in verses 2 and 3, you have a second movement of praise. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth and her fornication, and he has avenged her blood by his servants. This is a praise for his defense. There's praise for salvation, and then there is praise in heaven because he's of his retribution, of his defense. Um, the, those who oppose God, the enemies of God, will ultimately fail, and they will fail finally, and they will fail publicly. You don't want to be a part of that. You want to follow them. And if you know God, and if you love God, once you are in heaven with God, and his foes are defeated, it causes spontaneous praise to ring out in heaven. They're praising him in heaven in this scene because salvation belongs to him. And they're praising him in heaven in this scene because he has fully, and he's about to defeat all of his foes because of his power and his defense or his retribution. In verse number four, there's another group that praises him. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Who is this group? This is an interesting group. You have the four living creatures, which are angelic characters, which are always hovering about the throne, and they're always quick to praise. And these 24 elders with the 24 thrones and 24 crowns, we believe they represent the church in heaven, raptured into heaven. And we'll give you some explanation. I want you to just get, here's a little aside for those of you who are students of Bible prophecy. This is the description of the return of Christ, and the description here of the return of Christ is characterized by judgment. When you read descriptions of the rapture, they are not characterized by judgment, right? Descriptions of the rapture, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians, in John chapter 14, in 1 Corinthians, the descriptions of the rapture and the trumpet sound, 
in the descriptions of God's bringing his saints to heaven, bringing his saints to himself to meet him in the air, they're, they're, they're characterized in a different way. We don't believe this is the rapture of the church. We believe that when Jesus comes, he brings the raptured church with him. They're the armies of heaven, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right now we're talking about the 24 elders and the four living creatures, and they're joining with this thunder-like song of praise in heaven, and they praise God because of salvation, and they praise God because of retribution, and the, and the 24 elders are praising him in agreement. They're saying, it's like antiphonal, right? It would be as if we had a great choir in this balcony and a great choir in that balcony, and this choir was answering to that choir. This is often done in great places of worship. In heaven, that's the way it's going to be. When people see that the very God, a very God, has sent his Son who died for the sins of the world, in heaven they're going to rejoice because of salvation belongs to God. They're going to rejoice because God defends himself and his loved ones against their enemies. And the elders, the 24 elders, the church is going to say, Amen to that. Hallelujah. Get it? They're answering back. Amen to that. If you don't get that now, you'll get it someday. And you'll be real excited about it. But better than football, better than cross-stitch, better than coon hunting, better than card playing, better than hunt, shopping for shoes, better than winning the Big Ten, better than everything, guaranteed, the, the 4 and 20 elders. Verse 5 says, Then a voice came from the throne. Verse 5. And what does the voice say? Same thing everybody else said. Praise God. Praise our God, all you his servants, and all those who fear him, both small and great. It's almost as if they're sweeping in everybody. The, the saints have praised him, and the angels have praised him, and the living creatures have praised him. The redeemed have praised him. The ones that wish they could have been redeemed praise him. The four and twenty elders praise him and then there's this voice is it coming from around the throne or is it coming from the throne we don't know but this voice is saying this is appropriate praise god you see this is obviously repeated over and over that's what this whole section is about and then you get to verse six and i heard as it were the voice of a great multitude it's almost as if everyone joins together as the sound of many waters as the sound of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the lord god omnipotent reigneth let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. This is the end of that section. What a powerful section. When the world sees the reigning king, Jesus, and in heaven, by the throne, everyone praises him and praises him eternally and can't get enough of praising him. And this is what happens in that passage. It's interesting, the word hallelujah is common in almost all languages of the earth. Did you know that? Once there, was a, there were a couple of guys on a ship, or believers, there were very few believers on the ship. Most of the people that were on the ship were partying, and dr they were involved in drunkenness and carousing and carrying on, and, and these two guys were kind of lonely, and, but they, they realized they were believers. They, they both spoke different languages, and, and so day after day they would see each other, but they couldn't communicate. And so one, of, one day, walking on the deck of the ship, one of them said to the other one, Hallelujah. And the other one said back, amen. And whenever they saw each other, they said, hallelujah, amen. So if you ever go to some other country and you don't want to say, to find out who the Christians are, try that. Maybe that will work. This week, I had a guy from India write me. Now, this happens a lot, right? Because we, as pastors in America, we sit on a pile of cash compared to pastors in India. We sit in stacks of books compared to pastors in India. We have so many resources compared to pastors in other places in the world. So this pastor from India writes me, not a guy that I know, and I'm tempted to go, well, you know, I don't know you, so I'm not going to write you back. But then I think, God is watching me. 
And he sees the pile of cash I'm sitting on. He sees the $11 million property that I preach in every week. He sees the thousands of books that I'm surrounded with. And maybe he won't like it if I just ignore this Indian pastor. So I correspond with him just a little bit. And the guy says to me, could we Skype? He goes, I'd like to invite you to come to India. And I'd like you, he goes, I have a number of pastors that go into the mountain villages and I, I train them and they don't have anything. And, and I send them into the mountain villages and they witness in the mountain villages and they pray for people and, and they witness and, and they help the poor and they go to leper colonies. And I wonder if you could come and speak to them. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I would say to guys that are doing that. Maybe I should go listen to guys that are doing that, you know? He says, no, we'd like you to. He goes, he says to me, it was this week, could you Skype me right now? And I'm like, well, okay. So I, I connect with him on Skype. And then he speaks English. Obviously, I, I don't speak any other language. And so he's speaking English to me. And he says, thank you, pastor. He's very kind. You know, I'm so grateful for you uh, calling, you know, Skype me. I want you to meet my son. And he brings this little boy, adorable little boy, onto the camera. He goes, I want you to meet my father. You know, he's the start of the church. And here's this white-haired man. He brings him. And I'm like, I'm honored to meet you. And I talk with him for just a minute. And then he goes, I want you to talk to the pastors. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe I'll do that someday. And then he turns the camera around. And in the room are dozens of pastors sitting shoulder to shoulder with Bibles in their laps. And he says to me, please teach them right now. What an honor. So I'm in my little study going, okay, let me tell you about Operation Evangel. It'll work anywhere in the world. When you go into the mountain village, pray, love, invite, gospel conversation. You know what they said? Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. They love the Lord. You can just see it. When you talk about the Lord, you talk about the testimony. These brothers, they love the Lord. We know the Lord. We're going to say hallelujah now, and we're going to say hallelujah then. Don't ever forget that, because in this world that we live in, people are cursing his name, blaspheming his name, profaning his name, ignoring his name, but there's going to be a song that rings throughout eternity forever, and it's going to be an honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Let's get used to that right now. Let's get used to saying hallelujah. We Baptists don't say hallelujah enough. In the passage here, they say it in heaven over and over and over again. And I do not want the saints from Evangel going to heaven and having to learn the heavenly language when they get there. Let's say it now so that we get to heaven. It's like we used to do that all the time. Hallelujah. Amen. So there you have it. You have this uh, beautiful passage. Now, in verses 7 through 10, you have a, a reference to something fascinating in the Bible. It is a reference to the marriage of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Both are referred to there in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Notice in verse 2 it says, He has judged the great harlot. There's a woman, there are two women in this passage, a harlot and a bride. Isn't it wonderful how God makes things like really clear? There's a harlot and there's a bride. They're rejoicing in the first part because the harlot and all that goes with her is being judged by God. They're rejoicing in the second part because the bride is going to celebrate her wedding with the groom. Who doesn't love that? Rachel, what do you think about that? What do you think about Andrew, right? Andrew. Rachel and Andrew. Stand up just for a moment and, and, and clap because they just got engaged. Go ahead. Just, we're just going <laughs> to... Thank you very much. 
Rachel Lorenz and Andrew Hess got engaged. They're going to be married. I want you to imagine that Andrew, I didn't know how, how it worked, and Andrew probably doesn't appreciate all this public attention because he seems like a quiet man, but I want you to imagine that, that Andrew's sister Rachel, you know, he's been dreaming about this. He's, I'm sure he talked to her dad. I'm sure that he, dad was very prayerful and mom, and, and then they were very grave, gracious to say, yes, you can ask her, and then you ask her, and then, then it was like, you're on a knee. Are you on a knee? Tell me you were on a knee. Two knees. You were on both knees. Now, that, then her, the, the thing that she has to do at that point is she has to go, she has, to do, she has a very simple job, and that is, how does this go? She said, yes. Very simple job. After that, it gets harder, but the first thing is, she said yes. And you're waiting for that girl to go, yes. That's what the bride's supposed to do. She's supposed to look into the groom's eyes and go, yes, yes, and yes. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Yes, Jesus, I will live with you. Yes, Jesus, I will love you. Yes, Jesus, I will be loyal to you. Yes, Jesus, you will be my king. Yes, Jesus, you can have my heart. He uses the picture of a marriage. How beautiful is that? He says, this is the marriage of the lamb. This is the most impressive groom the world has ever seen. The lamb. He that, was, that created all things, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He finally now has come for his bride. That's you, the church. Imagine it. And there you have the record of that. You have a reference to it. He said to me, he says, in the, he says it, verse, uh, verse 7, Let us be glad, rejoice, give him glory. The marriage of the lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Listen to that. And notice this, notice the, the subtlety and the doctrine, the theology. It's clear in the next verse. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. You know that's true, right? God, I'm making myself ready for you. I'm being as righteous as I can be, which would be impossible if righteousness was not granted to us. That is salvation by grace through faith. And this is sanctification. Granted to be arrayed in, in fine linen, clean and bright, the fine linen is the righteousness, righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel says to John, hey, write this down. It's like, write. Because here comes another blessing. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's that calling to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And John is so impressed by this. He's so powerfully impressed by this. What does he do? He does what people usually do when they meet angels. He falls down to worship the angel. And the angel immediately corrects him. Do not worship me. I am your fellow servant. And I'm the fellow servant of your brothers. And he says, don't worship me. What does he say? Get this. He says, worship Jesus. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Not unusual. When you read that, was that kind of mysterious and enigmatic when you read what does that mean the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy here's what the angel was saying to john and what he meant by that was listen no human being is the center of the universe no angelic being is the center of the universe the lamb on the throne jesus the story of jesus is the spirit of prophecy jesus is the center of the universe 
So worship Jesus because He always has been and He always will be the center of the universe. That's going to help you in life to keep that in mind. But we have more to talk about. So now we go into the second scene. It's a scene of judgment on earth. And here you have Jesus either symbolically or literally. You can figure that out if you want to. Don't beat a poem with a hose to get the meaning out of it. It's really very clear what this means. Jesus is coming to rule and He's riding a horse. And I will be on one of those horses too if the rapture comes, which is really kind of neat because I've never had very good experiences with horses. I had a girlfriend once, well, kind of a girl I wanted to be a girlfriend, and she had horses. She's really big on that. So she had me get on her on a horse. We're going horseback riding. And I don't know anything about horses, but I kind of wanted to be like John Wayne and look impressive. So I'm like, the horse is not going to throw me off. A motorcycle goes by. The horse rears up. So what I do is I just yank back on the harness as hard as I can because I'm a real man. If you know anything about riding horses, you're not supposed to do that because a horse will literally go over backward on top of you, which I can imagine is a very painful experience. The horse came over like this all the way over and landed on his back. By the mercy of God, I happened to get out of the way in time when the horse's body slammed to the ground and the earth shook. And then because I was still trying to act like a real man, I just grabbed the horse and decided. My grandpa always told me, you, to ride a horse, you just got to get on one more time, then they throw you off. My grandfather had simple ways of explaining things like that. It sounded easy enough. I had tennis shoes on that day. You know how I remember that? Because when I was so manly that I was going to get back on that horse, the horse stutter stepped around and stood on my foot. And, I, and if you never had that experience, I'll tell you, it hurts really bad. It's not what it's going to be like. Nobody's going to be clumsy in riding the horse on this day. God is going to come from heaven. He's not going to come in meekness as a suffering servant. He's going to come as a warring king, as a reigning king, as a conquering king, as a benevolent king. Jesus is going to ride the horse, and we're going to ride with him. How wonderful is this? And he's going to reign on the earth. How beautiful is this? He's going to come and will appear, verses, uh, verses 1 through 3, in this amazing appearance. In verse, uh, then look at, in verse, uh, look at the appearance. I saw heaven open, a white horse. He who sat on him called faithful, true, righteousness. In righteousness he judges and makes war. Don't say he isn't righteous in his judgment. He, you will know he's righteous in his judgment. His eyes are like a flame of fire. There's nothing he misses. On his head are many crowns. Remember the old, all the other kings with the crowns and the multiple crowns and the kings and the kings of the earth. They're going to get eaten by the birds here in a minute. You know, this passage is either, you know, it's, going to eat, it's eat or be eaten, right? We go to the marriage supper of the lamb and eat, or we are eaten by the birds. Your choice, whatever you want to do, you decide. Yeah, that's what the passage is teaching. You either get to be the harlot or the bride. Your choice. It's eat or, or be eaten. <laughs> Your choice. The Bible's very helpful when things like this. So he appears this amazing appearance, eyes like a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. And he has a name written no one knows but himself. Clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Name is the word of God. There's an army with him, verse 14. The armies in heaven. Who is that? Well, that's interesting. I believe what we have here are the saints and angels. Certainly the angels coming with the Lord. But also the saints, how do we know that? Because in chapter 17 and verse 14, they're described as called and chosen and faithful. That would not describe the angels. I believe these are the saints. Certainly the martyred saints, the raptured saints are coming with him. In chapter 19 and verse 8, notice what it says there. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean, bright. For the, This is the bride, arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, right? Notice in verse 14, how is this army dressed? 
They are arrayed. They're clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and following him on white horses. Does this excite anybody but me? Who is this? This is the, this is the, the bride, the church, the, the, the believers and the angels, the army, angel armies and, and, and saint, the, the angels and the saints are coming. In verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And this is the only weapon used that day. Nobody else gets to fire a shot. The word comes out of the mouth of Christ and he defeats immediately the most ferocious enemies upon earth. And he has a robe. And in case anybody has missed who he is, the, 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 on his thigh it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw another angel standing in the sun, crying with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of our great God. So think about it. So you have like two women, harlot, bride, two, two dinners, the, 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 the marriage supper of the lamb, and this is called the feast of our great God. You join Christ as his bride at the marriage supper of the lamb, or you are judged by God and your carcass is eaten by the birds. This is how the Bible symbolically says this. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. If you want to know how to order your life, put the one who is at the center of the universe in the very center of your life. This you will never regret. And you don't have to know all the details. Just put the one who is the king of the universe on the throne of your heart. See what I'm saying? You say, well, I don't know if, I, if that'll, he'll satisfy me. He'll satisfy you. He's the king of the universe. I don't know if he can defend me. He can defend you. He's the king of the universe. I don't know if I should follow him. You should follow him. He's the king. of. He has the power to rule. And he has the power to overcome the sin in your life that you're struggling with right now. Someday it's going to be all over with. He's going to come and he's going to deal with that sin that you struggle with so hard and that pushes you away from God. He is powerful enough to deal with that sin in your life. He's powerful enough to forgive you. He ha- he's coming to rule. He's coming to reign and we want to align our hearts to him in, in just in quick in, in worship and in obedience. This is what it says there in verse 10. The, the angel says to John, um, worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel says to him, worship God. And I would say the same thing to you. You may struggle with how do I stay ahead of the brokenness that's in my world? What do I do about the heartaches that I face? Whether that is kids who strayed from God, parents that are aging, and you wonder what's going to happen. How are you going to take care of them? And when they do pass, how are you going to deal with that? Or just things that happen in your life that you thought you would never have to deal with. For all of us, that is the way it is in this world. Because the world is broken. Because the world has fallen. Because you and I are broken people. I live in a broken world. But the Bible says in the last chapters that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to fix everything. And we want to make sure that he's our king when that happens. In a minute, I've asked my daughter Holly to come and sing a song, a song she sang here before. It goes so well with this passage. And the song is based on this book. There's a passage in the song that I love so much. Holly's going to sing it. You can sing along with her if you want to. Certainly you ought to in your heart. Here's the phrase she's going to sing. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything. 
and I will adore you. With all creation I sing, praise to the King of kings. You are my everything. I will adore you. Who would say that today? With all creation knows enough to praise him. The angels know enough to praise him. The 24 elders are going to praise him. The four living creatures are going to praise him. And all of the demons and devils of hell are going to yield to him. With all creation, I will sing, praise to the King of kings. You are my everything. I will adore you people. Listen to me. It's as simple as that. Here's a go. I decided to take a walk with my little boy. He's all grown up now, but he was such a sweet, cute little boy. And I wanted to take a walk with him on an autumn day. So we took our dog and we went for this walk. It was so sweet to be with him. I always wanted to hold his hand, but he wouldn't let me do it. He wanted to walk around. He wanted to climb on rocks. He wanted to explore. And so here and there, he would do that. And the dog would run around, and he would run around up on the rocks. It was a beautiful day in the autumn of the year, and the leaves were blowing out of the trees, golden and beautiful. The sun was lower in the sky. It was playing off the color of the river as we walked along a fisherman's path by the river. And he was just climbing up on the rocks. I wanted to be close to him, but he wanted to explore. And while he was up on those rocks, I heard him cry out. And I turned around just in time to see him fall down into a crack in the rocks. He cried out in fear. And what I could see was that he clung to a root at the top of the rocks, and his feet were hanging off the ground maybe six or eight inches. He was really in no danger at all, but he thought he had fallen into a hole, into the, like the bowels of the earth. And so he was just screaming out, Dad! You know, I could have just kidded with him and said, you're good, don't worry about it. But, you know, that's not what dads do. So I jumped up on the rock and I grabbed him up. And he, and he turned around and he held on to me. It was years ago, but I can still imagine the feeling of his heart against me. His little heart was just pounding away. And he held on to me really tight. And then I says, well, you didn't need to be scared. Your feet were just a few inches off the ground. He goes, just before I fell in the hole, I saw a snake go down in there. <laughs> The kid thought he was falling in a snake pit, and I rescued him. And then we walked home that night, and here's what I remember. He stayed really close to me all the way home. He never got very far from me all the way home. That night when I put him in bed, I went up to his room, and I listened to him breathe. And I prayed that he would stay close to God all the way home. Do you know that Jesus treasures you and wants you to be his bride? He wants you to stay close to him all the way. He'll help you with what you need. He will forgive you for what you've done. He will help you with the problems that you have. He's the most understanding being in the whole world. You can walk with him. Will you say yes? Holly, come and sing to us.